Well, I'm not going to name all the members of the praise team today. (laughs) Other than to say thank you for your ministry to us. What a blessing it has been this morning. Well, this morning we are concluding our series in the book of James. And this is the 19th sermon in this series. And actually, it is very, very different than the 18th sermon. If you were here a few weeks ago for the 18th sermon, it was on the issues of prayer, healing, and God's almighty power. And I tell you, I love to preach on those themes. Today is a little more challenging of a message. Today the message is on backsliding. When I was a boy growing up, I used to hear older Christians talk about backsliding quite often. For them, it was a very serious matter. But it seems as though I do not hear this word amongst us like we once did. I remember one day speaking to my mother-in-law about this before she passed away a number of years later. And I just remember her saying to me, I haven't heard that word in a long time. And so you might say, well, why, why today? Why today? Well, it's because it is the last and final word, the final subject that James gives to us in his letter. Now, his conclusion is really abrupt and it's very sudden. See, normally epistles like James conclude with greetings, well wishes, blessings, benedictions, like so many of the other epistles we have in our New Testament. But James doesn't conclude with any of that. In fact, his final words are on the seriousness of backsliding. By the way, final words are important words, aren't they? If you've ever heard somebody's last words, you never forget them. And that's what James wants. James wants his final words to ring in our ears as we close out his letter. Now, as we delve into the text today, there are two things we're going to see. Backsliding can happen to anyone. No one is exempt. I've seen it happen to pastors. I've seen it happen to missionaries, youth leaders, and many others. And then the second thing that James says to us is that backsliding is like sheep. And what he does is he gives us four comparisons to sheep. Would you open your Bibles today, and I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, to take the pew Bible in front of you, uh, turn towards the back of that New Testament and find the book of James, and turn with me to the last chapter. And I want you to follow along as I read these two final abrupt verses that James wants us to have ringing in our ears. 
My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Bow with me in prayer. Father, thank you for the heart of the half-brother of Jesus, James. He was an elder in the early church. This is the first book of the New Testament that was ever written. And we can see his love and his concern and his pastoral heart. And like every good pastor, he does not hold back from us that which is profitable for our eternal welfare. And so, may we hear his words today, receive them into our hearts, and may we be changed because of what you have taught us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Let's look at these comparisons together, and here is the first one. James tells us that, first of all, backsliders are like sheep because they wander away from the truth. He says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Very interesting, the Greek word that James uses here for wander is the Greek word planao. We get our English word planet from this word. Look up the word planet in a dictionary and you will find the definition is a wandering star. This word is also used in the New Testament and in the Bible of sheep which are legendary for their wandering. Now there are several ideas that are involved in this. Number one, it is a professing Christian who belongs to a Christian church because he says, if anyone among you. So he's talking about somebody who has been a part of the Christian church. Secondly, this is a deliberate, not an accidental action. It is a conscious choice to wander off. And then thirdly, it is encouraged by Satan. This very word is used in Revelation 12.9 of Satan, who causes the whole world to go astray. Now, it's interesting, as we look at how the New Testament describes this wandering, what we discover is there are a number of ways that we can wander. And I want all of us this morning to think, am I in any of these particular categories? Number one, it is possible for us to wander from God's Word. Uh, that's the point that James is using here when he says, uh, if any one of you wanders from the truth. Uh, what's interesting is the, the Greek word planao sometimes has this meaning. To no longer believe what is true, but to start believing what is false. You know anybody in that category? 
who used to believe what is true, but now they believe what is false. James here may well be uh, describing uh, a Bible-believing church where the truth was taught, but somebody was seduced by a false cult. You know, cults are great at causing people to wander. Because they use the Bible, they uh, use spiritual lingo in the way that they talk, and often cults, outwardly, can be very, very caring. By the way, let me give us this morning three marks of a cult. Mark these down. Number one, a cult always adds to God's Word. Number two, a cult always diminishes God's Son. And number three, a cult always tells you you can only have a hope-so salvation, not a no-so salvation. Those are three marks of a cult. They add to God's Word, they diminish God's Son, and they tell you that you can never truly be sure that you are saved and on your way to heaven. If you are part of a group like that, that is a cult. You have wandered from the truth. Notice the second way that we can wander. We can wander from God's morals. We can wander from God's morals. Uh, Just a little bit later in 3 John, and verse, um, uh, 3 John here the passage is, and uh, verse 4, John says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now in the Bible, truth is often associated with how we live. And here's what John means. He means he's excited that his converts are living right. Uh, The Bible says that truth is not just simply what we believe, but it is also how we live. By the way, did you notice in verse 20, the word that he uses is the word wandering. It's a reference to a lifestyle or a pattern of living. Interestingly, this same word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament involves transgressing the law and lapsing into idolatry. Idolatry always included moral corruption as well as worshiping idols. Uh, You probably have observed this. People will often change their beliefs to accommodate a new morality. Have you seen that? And one of the reasons that we must be very, very sensitive to changes in our moral behavior is because those changes can cause us to be people who will change our beliefs. Thirdly, the Bible says... We can wander from God's people. Inevitably, backsliders wander from the church. The Apostle John in 1 John 2.19, as he was writing to the churches that he was uh, over as a pastor, said this about some who had left. 
They went out from us, he wrote, because they were not of us. For had they been of us, they never would have gone out from us. You say, how does that happen? Well, sometimes a cult lures them away. Sometimes sin or indifference lures them away. Sometimes they get hurt, and that lures them away. But ultimately, they stop coming to church less and less and less, and finally, not at all. Can we just pause here for a moment? Say, how about us? Do any of these three marks of spiritual wandering mark us? Do they describe me? Do they describe you? Many years ago, the president of our fellowship of churches was speaking in my church that I was pastoring previous to this one. And he made one of those statements that when you hear it, you know, it just grabs hold of you by the, by the collars. And you think about it and you say, this, this is right. And you never forget it. And this is the statement that, that he made, Pastor Robert Ricker. He said, if I've ever been closer to God than I am right now, I have slidden back. And when I heard that, it just grabbed hold of me. And I thought, that is true. If I was closer to God than I am today, there's only one way that I could have gone. And that is bad. Here's another way that I have heard it put. You have probably seen this as well. If I'm not as close to God as I used to be, guess who moved, right? It's not God who moved. He's exactly in the same place that He always has been. It is me who has moved. And if God is exactly in the same place that He's always been, then I can return to Him, can't I? Yes. Now let's look at the second comparison. Secondly, James says about the backslider is that they need a caring shepherd. They need a caring shepherd. He says here, if someone brings him back, someone brings the person back. Did you notice this? They don't come back on their own, not normally. Someone helped to bring them back. You know this about sheep, that once they wander, they don't come home on their own. Uh, You remember the little nursery rhyme that we all learned. Remember this one? Little Bo Peep has lost her sheep. 
doesn't know where to find them, leave them alone, and they'll come home wagging their tails behind them. Whoever wrote this didn't know anything about sheep. (laughs) It sounds good. But little Bo Peep was wrong. Do you know how they come home? Jesus said, what man amongst you has a hundred sheep and one wanders astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and look for the one until he has found it? That's how sheep come home. They come home because a shepherd cares enough to go find them. Backsliders come home because... Someone with a shepherd's heart cares enough to reach out to them. Do you know what this text assumes? This text assumes that you and I, here at Bethel, care enough to try to win them back. Let me tell you what backsliders often feel. They often feel alienated. Sometimes they're wounded. Many times they are guilty. And it's very, very hard to come back when you feel that way. Because you feel nobody wants me. But when somebody reaches out a caring hand, then all of a sudden you realize, I am wanted. I am one. Uh, Let me tell you what won't bring them back. Judgmentalism won't bring them back. Ah, they weren't much of a Christian anyway. Harsh criticism won't bring them back. Why haven't I seen you in church lately? Gossip won't bring them back. Do you know what I heard about so-and-so? Indifference won't bring them back. I wonder what happened to so-and-so. Oh well. Oh well. You know what may bring them back? Truth spoken in love. That's what may bring them back. Truth spoken in love. I read about a father who stopped praying with his family. It had been his practice to pray with his family. He quit. One day as he was putting his little girl to bed... She looked up into his face and she said, Daddy, is God dead? And he said, No, my child. Why would you ever ask a question like that? She said, Well, Daddy, it's because you don't talk to him anymore like you used to. That struck the heart of that father. And he came back 
to God. Oh, for more loving voices who would say, why don't you come to church anymore like you used to? Why don't you read the Bible anymore like you used to? Why aren't you involved in ministry anymore like you used to? You see, God can use every one of us who can speak the truth in love because we have a shepherd's heart. Look at the third comparison. Thirdly, James says they may be lost forever. They may be lost forever. Now would you listen to me very, very carefully this morning? Because it's very important we get this. There are two kinds of backsliders. There is the heart-faith backslider who really has Christ in their heart and therefore they desire to return to God. But then there is what I call the head-faith backslider who has only intellectually received Christ with the mind but not with the heart. I often say that many people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches, and you've heard me say this, because it is 18 inches from the head to the heart. And many people have received Jesus just mentally, but they have never surrendered the heart to Jesus. So James here is not talking about somebody who was a Christian and lost their salvation, but he's talking about somebody who never truly had a heart faith in Jesus, and therefore they do not want to return. That's the person that James is the most concerned about. Notice what he says. The word wander here is associated with the apostate who rejects the will of God in the Bible. When he describes them in verse 20 as a sinner, that usually refers to hardened unbelievers who defiantly reject God's law. And when he says that they are liable to death, death here does not simply mean physical death, but eternal death. And he says if by our efforts they are saved, he is talking about eternal salvation. And so the great danger for that person, if they don't come back, they will be lost forever. Some time ago, Moody Monthly Magazine had a very interesting article. The title of the article was, His was a shocking change of heart. Let me read it for you, and let me ask, who do you think this article is talking about? Okay? In your mind as I read it, who is this talking about? 
A brilliant young man once wrote, Our heart, reason, history, and the work of Christ convince us that without Him we cannot achieve our goal, that without Him we are doomed by God, and only Christ can save us. These thoughts of a mere 17-year-old young man revealed spiritual wisdom beyond his age and insights that few attain. He had been baptized at the age of six into a church and was confirmed at 16. Now, to graduate from high school, he had been required to write an essay on a religious subject. He chose to explore the subject of the union of believers with Christ according to the Gospel of John. He explained that the fruit of our union with Christ is our willingness to sacrifice ourselves for our fellow man. And the joy which many superficial philosophies seek in vain, he said, is a joy known only to the innocent heart, united with Christ, and through Christ to God. You know who read that? Who wrote that? You know who that young man was? You ready? It was Karl Marx. The founder of communism. The article went on to say this. Just nine years later, he had abandoned any Christian commitment he may once have had. In fact... His new ideas established him as one of the most influential atheists of history. Worse, his ideas spawned through the former Soviet Union and communist movement, one of the greatest epics of human misery and death in history. This radical change of heart is astonishing and difficult to understand, but it shows the horror that can occur if a person turns away from the light that has been given him, rejecting the love and mercy of a Savior. You see, that's the danger. The person who only has an intellectual attachment to Christ only, can reject the light that has been given to them. And in rejecting that light, they reject the love and mercy of our Savior. Now fortunately, this is not where James is. There's a final comparison. And I love this final one. They can be restored and forgiven. And all God's people said, look what he says. He says, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The word cover there is an interesting word. It means to conceal or hide so that no trace can be found. It was used of a veil that was so effective that when it covered something, you could not see what was under it. 
And what James is describing here then is the forgiveness that someone receives when they are saved. You know, two weeks ago in the 18th message, I thought to myself, I forgot to really emphasize something that I should have emphasized. Because as James talked about anointing somebody with oil by the elders and praying for their healing, in verse 15 he said, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And as I drove downstate uh, for Thanksgiving uh, break, I thought about this and I thought I should have made a bigger deal out of that. He will be forgiven. God is a forgiving God. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven. Jesus died to pay the price for all sins. And by the way, did you notice how many sins were covered by the forgiveness of God? How many? A multitude. A multitude. By the way, that's what all of us have brought to Christ, haven't we? We've all brought a multitude of sins. And no matter the multitude of the sins of the backslider, all of them can be forgiven. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If I could open up the microphones today, there are people here who would stand and say, Pastor, are you talking about me? I've experienced this. I know what it is to wander from the Lord, and I know what it is to come back, and let me tell you, the people God used to help bring me back. Maybe there's somebody here today and this is only partially your story. You haven't returned and been forgiven. If that's the case, please hear the good news today. You can be restored. You can be forgiven. We as a church... I want to help you experience that. It's interesting as we close out the book of James in this final chapter, what James has to say to us about the church, what it means to be the church, that's what he's kind of describing here. And so, before we close and we gather together around the table of the Lord, What do we learn about the church? Well, I I think we learn at least these three things. Number one, 
A church is a praying fellowship where prayer is practiced individually and together. Secondly, a church is a caring fellowship where believers are encouraged to be honest about their faults and about their needs. We come with too many masks, don't we? And because we wear those masks for such a long period of time, then when we blow out, everybody says, how could that have happened? What went wrong? And part of the problem is we didn't really know each other because we weren't honest about what was going on in our life. And that's not what a church should be. I don't know what mask you are wearing. I don't know what you are keeping from others that has you bound in sin and chains. But a church should be a place where we are honest about the faults we have and the needs we have. Finally, number three, the church is a correcting fellowship that seeks to restore those who fall away from the Lord. And in this day and age in America, this aspect of the church is found less and less and less. Remember the old statement? Don't just come to church. Be the church. Let us not just come to church. Let us be church. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, today the Christmas carols talked about these very issues. That Christ has come as the Lamb of God to give His life for the wandering sheep. To pay the penalty of our sins that have separated us from the living God. That we might be saved from death. The multitude of our many sins could be covered over and removed. So that in your sight they are no longer seen by the blood of Christ. I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would take these words that your apostle and servant who wrote them from you wants to ring in our ears. 
and that you would drive them home to our hearts. If we have recently returned from backsliding and we know that we have been restored, may we rejoice in our forgiveness. Lord, if we know somebody who is in this condition, whether it's a friend or a relative or a former church member, may we begin to ask you how we might be used to be that caring shepherd that they need. And we thank you, Lord, that There is always this wonderful hope, always this great invitation, and always this opportunity. Come to a merciful and loving Savior. Draw hearts to Yourself, Lord, today, as only You can. For Jesus' sake we pray.